0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Went to Mo Kings Meadow, the podcast that talks exclusively about the Chelsea FC women's team. I'm your host, Dean, and on this week's show, in part one, we review Chelsea's progression in the Champions League with victory over Atletico Madrid, and our first trophy of the season, thanks to our win over Bristol City in the Conti Cup. In part two, we round up the latest news from Kings Meadow. In part three, we look ahead to our next fixture against Everton on Wednesday, and in part four, we've got your emails. This is episode 16 of Went to Mo Kings Meadow, entitled oh mara you gotta sing that bit i'm very sorry you had to listen to that but there you go anyway before we get started we need your help to spread the word about this podcast so if you enjoy what you hear tag us in a tweet share us on instagram or how about leaving a nice five-star review on apple podcast as it helps other supporters find the show we would really appreciate your support uh, now joining me this week as ever is my wonderful co-host jane jane how are you doing this week
1: I'm good, thank you. Very happy with the results this week. The trophy on Sunday was actually our second trophy Mm. of the season. Obviously, we won the Community Shield at the very beginning.
0: Proper trophy. So I'm
1: going to class it as our second trophy.
0: No, we're not Arsenal now. Come on, proper trophies. (laughs) Um, Also joining us this week, I'm delighted to welcome back to the show um, Senior Editor of the Chelsea Social, Rob Prattley. Rob, how are you doing, sir?
2: Yeah, I'm not too bad. Thank you very much. Um, again, quite happy for our second trophy as we go for the quintuple. Um, but yeah, no, it's been a good week, I think, all things considered, all the news. So, yeah, probably hard to complain at this moment in time. Yeah, should be
0: on the whole very positive um, podcast this week. Uh, let's dive straight into our match reviews then. And last Wednesday afternoon, Chelsea travelled to Italy to take on Atletico Madrid due to COVID restrictions in the second leg of the round of 16 in the Champions League. Jane, take us through the, all the important information from that game.
1: So Chelsea lined up this one in a 4-2-3-1 formation with Anne Katrin Berger in goal, a back four of Neve Charles, Maram Mielder, Millie Bright and Yonah Anderson. Melanie Lewipols, and Jeeb were the midfield two with Frank Kirby, Penil Harder and Sam Kerr supporting Bethany England in attack. Emma Hayes used... Three substitutions, Guru, Wright, and replacing England after the 40-second minute. Harder was replaced by Jesse Fleming after 68 minutes. And in the 84th minute, Hannah Blundell came on for G. This left an unused subs bench of Musovic, Telford, Carter, Ericsson, Spence, Fox and Beaver-Jones. Stats-wise, starting with Atletico's numbers first. Ball possession, 63-37%. to 37%. Accurate passes 81% to 74%. Lost balls 129 to 107. Jules won 104 to 108. Shots on target 3 out of 12 to 2 out of 8. Recoveries 82 to 65. Interceptions 43 to 51. Clearances 14 to 15. Fouls 10 to 6. Times G 1.73
0: to 1.09 XG Jane Come on get with the stats now <laughs>
1: I'm XG. sorry I read it wrong <laughs> uh,
0: you may have noticed the stats are very in depth there and that is all thanks to our new stats partner Mia Ericsson um, you follow her on Twitter at under uh, sorry, at Mia underscore Ericsson um, a new feature we're going to start with Mia is a Mia's tactical assessment each week so Mia's going to give us a topic from the stats of the game uh, Mia would like us to discuss the different game plans between the two legs, the difference in stats. Um, right now, I've lost where I found, where I put the other stats for the first leg. But, you know, in this game, Chelsea, 37% possession, Rob. Um, obviously, vastly different to the first leg where we controlled large periods of the game. You know, that was a, a definite game plan, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, I always um, look at all, uh, every, every single tie in the Champions League has to be considered as a two-legged affair rather than looking at one leg in isolation I think it's a sort of naive way to look at that when you're assessing them and because we've done the job at home and got the lead they were always going to dominate the ball I think we were quite happy you know to go away and draw nil nil because ultimately if we drew nil nil we'd be going through and there wasn't really the onus on us to go forward and attack and with the hectic schedule at the minute I don't think it's bad for us to have a game you know a lot of athletics possession in the first half certainly wasn't in dangerous areas it was sort of in the middle third and the defensive third. And I think if a team, you know, does that against us, that's not a problem. Um, in the second half, it was probably a bit more threatening with possession, but there was never really a sustained period where you thought the lead was in jeopardy, so.
0: Yeah, Jane, I suppose that's sort of Emma Hayes in a nutshell, really. She goes out to win the game in front of her and, and to win the game, to win the tie, she only needed to draw. Um, so, you know, it made sense for her to sort of soak up some pressure and just keep it tight at the back, wasn't it?
1: I think the difference, it is a big difference between the possession, but I don't think like we was worried at all in the game. And I don't think Emma was too worried about how the possession went. I think Emma would have been happy, like Rob said, with a nil-nil, we was through. So I think as long as we managed to keep it, if, hang on, I'm getting all my words I'm modelled up here. Like I don't think Emma was obviously she'd want to go out and score goals, but at the end of the day, she would have been happy with that nil-nil draw.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, thanks for for that, Mia, with the stats. You know, there's going to be lots of, of new stuff coming up with Mia in the near future. Um, before we start on the game, you know, I missed this match because it was a twelve thirty lunchtime kickoff in the UK. Uh Rob, that's you know, pretty ridiculous for such a high profile game, isn't it?
2: Uh, Absolutely, Uh, you know, I I've been well known to sort of take UEFA and the FA to task on sort of Twitter about this sort of thing, and you wouldn't see it in the men's UCL. Um, You know, you get the prime time slots for that. There is no reason why they can't find a different night or sort of a different schedule in order to put the WCL on. If they want to give it equal billing as UEFA say they do, and want to you know make them equal, I commend them to saying that but you've got to do it in practice. It was a ridiculous time for a kickoff. I appreciate that there's aspects out of people's control in terms of the virus and stuff, but it's just a ludicrous time. And it meant, you know, viewing figures, I'm sure, were down significantly because a lot of fans weren't able to see it. I know that, you know, in our next leg um, tie, we have the same issue. And Manchester City versus Barcelona, which to me will be probably the standout tie of the round because they're two teams that love to attack and they are you know manchester city if we're honest are really good to watch um as are barcelona that will get a paltry viewing and it's completely counterproductive when you're trying to really get you know women's football out to the masses and saying you know look we're trying to do this and then putting it at times where it's not going to be accessible because everyone at university people at work people at school aren't going to be able to view it now i was lucky enough on the time in question to have some time off so that's the only reason i was able to sort of see it but i know a number of people will sort of miss the game and had to you know catch up with it or rely on condensed highlights and that ultimately isn't you know the way you're ever going to grow the game
0: no yeah what i always say you know when you're trying to grow the women's game and you have people that maybe don't take it seriously when they do things like this it just fuels that fire that this isn't a professional league worth taking notice um let's get back to the game jane the lineup no magda Eriksson again um she did make the bench however did you have any concerns before kickoff
1: um, not really. I was happy with the lineup Emma put out. I pretty much predicted that that was going to be her lineup with obviously Sophie and Ingle suspended for that game. And I didn't expect Magda to be back for that game. I think she would have, like she done, just rested her for that game. We was a, we was comfortably through really when you yeah. look at it. So I think it was better to rest her and not injure her anymore, and then she wouldn't have been in the game for Sunday.
0: Yeah, sort of as we discussed, Jane, previewing this one, You know, as we've just spoken about, really Emma set the team up, allowing athletic coaches to have the ball, hit them on the counter. Rob, with hindsight, she got this spot on, but did you feel that at the time watching it, that we was definitely in control?
2: I mean, for the majority of the game, I think we'd all agree there was that 10-minute period, probably from about the 65th minute, when Ajibade missed that sort of chance and completely spooned it over the top um, from close range to sort of, you know, Tony Duggan's penalty, where... I think Atleti suddenly sort of had that spur. And you expect that in any, you know, game against the top opposition. You expect them to have a period of time where they're really going to push you. And ultimately, if the goal had come from that penalty, we may have seen a very different last 10 minutes. But the fact of the matter is it didn't. And besides that, at no other real point did we, you know, ever look in danger. It was a case of that if we got that goal, it was effectively tie over because there was no way Atleti was scoring four. Um And, you know, we just did what we needed to do. And that was, to me, that was one of the things that was most pleasing about the game is that rarely we get to see that side of Chelsea, that really tactical, sort of technical side of of the club. And we saw it in the first leg in a different way, but this was more a case of managing it. And one of my big, I suppose, complaints before in UWCL, if I have, you know, any gripe of Emma, and I think this is, you know, a valid one, is that there have been games where we haven't managed the game effectively. We've against Wolfsburg, for instance, a couple of years ago, I remember we had those two quick fire goals and we were completely out of the tie because we just looked totally punch drunk or against PSG when we were fighting back deficits. okay, we did eventually turn it round, but it was more due to the fact that we scored in the last minute, not due to a concerted amount, you know, a long amount of pressure. It was more due to getting somewhat lucky in that. And this year, it feels like the entire there was sort of a real switched on mentality from the squad. Of the, this is how we're going to do it, this is the game plan. And ultimately, you know, Lindahl also made a couple of very good saves. So it could easily, you know, have been tie over even before that.
0: Yeah, Jane, I suppose when you've got a front three of Kirby Kerr and, you know, the harder, you know, it's a great trump card to have because although we allowed the Code to have the position, they're always worrying about what we can do on the, on the counter. And, and all three of them had good chances of score, didn't they?
1: I think any team. Would be worried if when they see the lineup of Kerr, Harder, Kirby, and even throwing Beth England in there, any team's going to think, "Oh my God, what are we going to do?" Like you've got four really good strikers all coming up there, and they all did had really good chances, and it was just unlucky that we didn't score as many.
0: Yeah, as Rob said, some good saves from from Lindo. Um, Rob mentioned him. Jane mentioned him. Beth England, there, you know, someone that I want to speak about. Uh, subbed after 42 minutes she to do a head injury you know the piece I've got that's going to go up on the Chelsea social is about you know sort of where she's not had a look in in big games and she's been a bit unlucky and she now had two chances in big games taken away from her through no fault of her own you know it's just yeah. not in her year has it?
2: Well I, I don't know I, I was looking at this and I was debating this with someone else because I was sort of saying you know about um, sort of Beth England if you look at her numbers this year she's actually put up when she's been on the pitch put up really good numbers now, I think what she's perhaps, um, you know, this last year, let's face it, sort of, I think Sam Kerr, would be fair to say, took a while to adapt to WSL. Um, and, you know, it wasn't necessarily at her best. Obviously, Kirby had pericarditis, so it was sort of missing. Um, Beth England, um, obviously, Pinilla Harder wasn't even here. So Beth England, I think, stepped up and really filled that sort of void last year and should be commended and credited for that. However, as you're always going to see with world-class players, they're going to come back sort of, you know, firing and sort of, I think, I don't think any of us would have expected Kirby to come back at the level that she's at where she's now, I'd say, twice the player she was beforehand. I mean, she's absolutely, you know, incredible at this moment in time. Sam Kerr has finally, after that, all of those promised last year, it's now clicked into gear and she's now showing why she is one of the most complete strikers in world football and has that, you know, raw pace and ability. And Penila Harder, you know, I, I tweeted yesterday, there are two types of people in the world, those that think that understand Penila Harder and those that, you know, the sport of football isn't for them. Um, And I I stand by that 100%. So I think Beth has been unlucky in the sense that she's got really good players competing against her. But I think when she's been on the pitch, she scored some, you know, big goals. She scored those key goals early in the season in that game against Everton where we were laboring and sort of got those goals and suddenly took that away from them. She's scored key goals in other games. And I still think, you know, there is 100% a place for her. I think it was really unlucky, you know, the concussion in the second leg, uh, judging on the reports of how it was um, treated, you know, uh, sort of Emma Hayes was not happy about that, about how the referee approached it. Um, I think, you know, it should always be taken very, very seriously. But at the same time, if you're going to take it seriously in a case like that, I think you have to also apply the same rule in the first leg. I thought AKB should have come off after she took that knee to the face of Erin Cuthbert. Because I find it very hard to believe you can still, you know, be completely coherent and focused after that in especially such a high profile moment. So I feel they need to not pick and choose with the law.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, as they grow into learning that law and, and using it more in game situations, we might see some more consistency, hopefully. And, you know, for Beth, for me, it's, you know, players are going to want to play in those huge games and those huge moments. And, you know, I'm sure she will come back as the others have and re-race her game as well. Uh, mm. Jane, Half time. Chelsea got in at 0-0, 45 minutes away from the quarterfinals. Um, obviously, Atletico, we're going to try and get back into the game with a bit more intensity, but how are your nerves ahead of the second half? Because I know you can be a warrior, can't you?
1: Oh, I always worry the littlest things. I, w- I wouldn't say I was like too worried. I was thinking if Atletico come out, they could change this game around. Obviously, they was going to have to score three goals um, to obviously get through. But I wouldn't say I was too worried as what I've been in previous games.
0: Yeah, I suppose, Rob, Aletco did look dangerous with the pace of Lamella and, and Duggan being a lot more involved in the first leg. Um, mm-hmm. But it never felt like we were defending with our backs to the wall. You know, I can only really think of this, the one save from AKB, which was the Duggan volley to, to speak of. You know, Yeah, no. No, we exactly. Like... them at arm's length for you, didn't we?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, looking back on it, I think it was, well, again, I spoke to an athletic fan afterwards and sort of said, How did you judge it? And they sort of said it was a microcosm for their season because the big moments they had across the tie, they sort of, you know, in being pretty honest, they bottled them. And then they were caught in sort of two minds in the first leg as to whether attack and whether defend and did really neither. And then the second leg, for a lot of it, they were caught like that. And they said, you know, the most pleasing period in the second leg was after Ludmilla surprisingly came off. And because she'd sort of gone off, so many of them lean on Ludmilla and rely on Ludmilla to come up with something excellent. And her going off sort of freed them in a little bit. And they had their most dangerous sort of period. And they sort of said, you know, they feel like, whereas the comparison they sort of said is with Chelsea, you have harder and if Harder's not performing, you've got Kerr. And if Kerr and Harder are both not performing, you've got Kirby. And if they're all not performing, you've got England. If she's not available, you've got Wrighton. And there's so many people there. Whereas at- 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 Atleti, and I think this is, can be said at the same as you know Arsenal in WSL, there's such a reliance on one key player that when that key player is missing, and obviously Arsenal and Miedermeyer, when that one key player is missing, then suddenly it's a completely different ball game and a completely different you know way you have to approach it.
0: Yeah, as was shown when when Miedema went missing in our game um, recently in the league. Um, you mentioned big moments, and they don't get much bigger than penalties, and, and this tie really was decided by spot kicks. Two missed by Atletico in the first leg, obviously. Another in the second leg. Whereas Chelsea, two penalties, both scored by Mara Mielda. Um, but Atletico did have two other shouts which are denied, and our penalty was questionable, I suppose. Uh, I just want to get your opinions on them both. So the, I've had to close penalty shot one, which is a Neem Charles tackle on Ludmilla. Uh, Rob, penalty for you, yes or no?
2: I th- I think yes, but I think it's one of the ones where it's more of a 50-50. This was one of the ones I thought was a less likely because I understand why Charles went in, but I also think Ludmilla made a lot of the contact and of the challenge.
0: Yeah, Jane, what was your view on that one?
1: Um, I'd say yes I think if we had VAR there it would have been given as a penalty
0: yeah I agree if that if that's sort of Frank Kirby in the box and someone tackles her like that I'm screaming for a penalty Uh, number two Jonat Anderson with a clumsy looking tackle for me again that's a penalty Rob you
2: yeah I I couldn't believe we got away (laughs) it was so blatant and the fact was that I think, yeah, the referee in the end pointed for the goal kick and I thought they pointed to the spot and I had no complaint. I couldn't believe that wasn't given. That was just one of the ones I... I thought Stephanie Frappard had a really poor game, um, if I'm honest, considering that, you know, she is normally a very good referee and I don't like to just criticise referees for the sake of it, but I thought she had a really poor game on the, in the tie.
0: Yeah. Jane,
2: do you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I think it was a penalty. Like Rob said, he was shocked that it wasn't given. I think even in previous games, we've been lucky not to be given penalties against us. I've watched games and I've been like, how did we just get away with that? And we was <laughs> lucky to get away with them two penalties.
0: Sometimes you, you need a bit of luck. Um, Obviously, the Charles handball was, was, was handball. I don't think there's any complaints from anyone about that. But Chelsea's penalty given as handball, for me, doesn't hit the arm whatsoever. Rob, another stroke of luck there.
2: Absolutely ridiculous. I felt so because it was the player on her full debut as well. I felt so sorry. It was, what on earth are they meant to do? The player wasn't even, you know, it clearly hit them in the chest. And even if it did catch the top of the arm and stuff, it wasn't as if they were, deliberate. you know, you can't have players being like penguins just with their arms down by their sides all the time, sort of in the game. It was just a ridiculous decision. And I think it was, I think it was mainly given because of the athletic the way Atleti had been sort of, you know, crowding the referee on big decisions, and I think they had been, you know, sort of, you know, trying to influence him in that way, I think that was, you know, a bit of a backlash in that regard, of that she'd given the big decision at one end, that I think, you know, realistically the penalty wasn't controversial in any way, shape or form, but you always see when referees do that, they like to try and even up the big decisions to not be, you know, the critical point, and this was just an easy sort of one to give. It was a ridiculous ridiculous decision. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Jane obviously shouldn't have been given, but you know, Marin stepped up again from the spot and you know, put in a a huge goal which sort of killed the tide, didn't it? You know, under pressure, Marin from the spot has been fantastic.
1: Yeah, I think obviously it wasn't a handball, the player was just there, there's nothing you could do to get out of that. But yeah, Marin stepped up to the penalty spot, no fear whatsoever. And I think she's, she's done... She played brilliantly, the, the both legs against them. Like, it was just excellent.
0: Yeah. So, Atletico did get one goal back, you know, the game finishing 1-1. And we, we praised Chelsea a lot for their game management, for the way they played over two legs with, with, with 10 players in the first leg and then you know, the way they set up in, in that second leg. But, you know, the harsh reality of this competition is if Atletico had been more clinical from the spot... You know, with the free penalties they had, or had the other two been given, you know Chelsea would be out of this competition. And I think you know Emma knows that, and I think she'll be demanding a lot more from her players. Um, luckily for us, they didn't get those decisions and they didn't score those penalties, so we are through to the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Uh, Jane, run us through the player of the match vote from this game, then.
1: So, Chelsea and the Chelsea Women supporters group had their player of the match poll over on Twitter after the game. The four options were Anne Katchenberger, who received 7% of the vote, Millie Bright with 15% of the vote, Neve Charles with 22% of the vote, and the winner with 56% of the vote was Marin Mielder.
0: Yeah, another great performance from Mielder. Yeah, so I noticed, Rob, even in the highlights, was her intelligence in her position in the centre-half, you know, movement yeah. across attackers to prevent you know goal-scoring chances. Would you like to take a moment to sort of wax lyrical on Marin's performance over these two legs?
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously she didn't play as a fullback, which means I can't be, you know, she can't join the fullback union for this game. But I thought, yeah, I thought Maren was just excellent. It's one of those, one of those things I think you see with older players, and I've noticed it in Chelsea, Mensa, Cesar, Azpilicueta, is that the older sort of players, the older players as they get, they get that sort of nous and that understanding about them, and that ability just to read the game so much more, and that complements I think at times for a lack of pace, because I think you know it'd be fair to say that the isn't the quickest um, sort of fullback? She's not slow, but she's not you know lightning fast. But the ability of sort of reading that and just reading sort of you know the balls in behind, reading the state of play, and also playing out from the back—that's one thing I thought we did surprisingly well, um, considering that we were lacking sort of Magda Ericsson, and she's usually very very good for sort of that long pass, and as is Millie Bright. Um, I thought, yeah, I thought Mielda was just sort of brilliant and one of the sort of big things you want in your squad is the ability of players that are able to step in in multiple positions and that's one of the big benefits I think this year we've got of Chelsea is that there are a number of players that you know could play I think for instance Harvey, Kerr, Harder, Kirby and Kerr could all play anywhere across the front three I think Harder can play anywhere in the front three or in the midfield I think you could play you know, Jona and Marin both, if needed, could play at centre-back. I don't think they want to regularly. You've got Niamh Charles who can fill in at right-back, right-wing, back-right-mid, right-wing, you know, even on the left-hand side as well. So there's that level of versatility, and I think that's something that I've struggled to think of many other clubs in Europe that have that level of versatility. Yeah,
0: you know, a very valid point because we went through two legs without Magda Eriksson. Obviously, we had to shuffle the back four after 10 minutes in the first leg. So we will... We'll take our luck in this in this tie and hopefully carry that on to the next next round. Um, let's move on then, shall we, to Bristol City and the Conti Cup. Now, before we get into the Bristol City match review, um, I want to talk about the charity fundraiser from the Chelsea Women Supporters Group. Uh, Rob, the CFCW social teamed up with them on this one. Um, why don't you sort of tell us about what it was, the charities, and how much you actually raised in the end.
2: Yeah. So the sort of, again, when it came around to it, we obviously recognised that fans won't be able to attend the game, which was, you know, bitterly disappointing, but at the same time, I think it's important to, it's perhaps more important than ever to show fans, to show, you know, the fan side of it. And I think the players have done so much in recent, you know, months to sort of keep the smiles on fans' faces. It's only right we try and give something back. So the supporters group got in touch with us a few weeks ago and sort of asked to design a sort of virtual ticket um, for it. And then, As part of that, I thought that it'd be nice to, you know, for the CSW social to do a raffle um, sort of for a shirt. And then that way we could sort of also open it to Bristol City women fans if they wanted to sort of, you know, enter to sort of really encourage anyone, anyone really who was interested in women's football, to enter and sort of donate to two great causes, Plan International um, UK, and then also uh, Ditch the label, which is a charity really close to Millie Bright's sort of own heart. And uh, yeah, it was sort of a fantastic sort of thing within... The first sort of 24 hours, we'd already sort of doubled our original total. Um, we'd also had two players donate and a number of members of the squad sort of share what it was all about. And in the end, we managed to raise a brilliant sort of a £2,520. Um, so again, massive congratulations to Kerry Evans and all of the supporters group for this, you know, brilliant, brilliant venture. Delighted to have been any part of it with the CSW Social. Big thanks as well to Catherine and to Jess for their beautiful design of the... Um, virtual ticket and congratulations to Paula Fitzgerald on uh, winning the shirt. We're looking forward to showing off that. She's picked a Mare and Mielder shirt, which I think you know we can all agree is probably the right choice after Sunday. Um, and yeah, it was just sort of superb to be involved in it. And again, if um, anyone else if they do ever want to do anything else again obviously or anyone wants to do anything with the CSW social, just get in touch and we'd be delighted to sort of you know support you.
0: Yeah, it was you know fantastic to see the response from 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 so many people getting involved. I know people that don't even really follow the women's team sort of got involved as well and purchased a ticket just to support you know two great charities which are close to the club and, and to players of the club as well. You know mm-hmm. so you know, again you know, Kerry I know she's a she's a friend of the show and she did a lot of work for this. Um you know so congratulations to her and everyone else who was involved in making in that possible. Um let's get to the game then Jane let us know the all important information from this cup final.
1: So Chelsea lined up this one in a 4-4-2 formation with Berger in goal, Miel de Bryer, Eriksson and Anderson in defence, Ingle, Leopold, Fleming and Wrighton made up a midfield diamond with Kerr and Kirby in attack. Emma Hayes made full use of her available substitutions bringing Erin Cuthbert on for Leopold, Hannah Blundell on for Yona Anderson, Neve Charles for Kirby, Jess Carter for Sam Kerr and Drew Spence for Sophie Ingle. This left Musovic, Telford, So Young, Peniel Harder as the unused substitutes. Looking at the stats now, Chelsea had 67% possession compared to Bristol's 33%. 20 shots, 12 on target to Bristol's 10 shots, 5 on target. Chelsea mass- massively outperforming their XG of 3.96. Meanwhile, Bristol's underperformed theirs with 1.24. As it as expected, Chelsea outperformed Bristol in the following categories. Corners 11 to 5. Passing accuracy 82% to 72%. Possession lost, 110 to 128. Recoveries 87 to 64. Duels won 96 to 62. Bristol City completed clearances 24 to R14 commuting five fouls, picking up one yellow card compared to Chelsea's four fouls, zero cards. Counter-attacks with shots, one to four with three.
0: Now, yeah, thanks again to Mia for those stats, and they, they really do tell the story of the game. But what Mia wants us to look at from this game is the performance of Magda Eriksson. And in Mia's own words, what she said to me was, Magda had a brilliant game, passing actually 8-5%. She had seven defences, jewels, and one all seven. You know, one slide tackle was successful, which was successful. Three aerial duels, two were successful. Three loose ball duels, she won all three. Six interceptions, four clearances. Uh, and offensively, as well, she had one dribble, which was successful. One offensive duel, which was successful. She had two touches in the opposition penalty area. Uh, the only thing that sort of different from a usual game is she usually attempts sort of 1.67 progressive runs on average per 90. In this game, she only did one. And I think that was. You know the case of keeping Emily Salmon quiet and not allowing her to get in behind Rob.
2: Mm. Yeah, I would agree. I would say it was an interesting one because I I thought it was going to be. I was on the I was sort of doing a preview before the game of the Vixen cast. Um, who I sort of know you've worked with before, and they're sort of you're always sort of great fun. And I sort of said the worst thing in the world, sort of the best thing in the world for a neutral perspective, will be Emily Salmon has a really good game. And Magda Eriksson and Millie Bright have a, you know, uncharacteristically poor game because it will give them a chance. The worst thing in the world, that'll be the best thing in the world to do, which was the worst thing in the world will be that Millie Bright and Magda and play like Millie Bright and Magda Eriksson and don't really give Salmon a sniff. And I think it was a good learning experience for Ebony Salmon because it's one of those games where she did get that one chance in the second half, I think, where um, she got away down the left-hand side and cut in and had that shot that AKB sort of tipped over. But I think it was a really frustrating game for her, especially in a cup final, because, you know, as the centre forward, you want to perform, you want to sort of, you know, be the star. And you're the person they're looking to for the goals. And she was just completely nullified.
0: Yeah, Jane, you know, a fantastic performance from Magda. Considering she's been out with an injury, you know, to step in at that level and produce those sort of stats is, is you know an indictment of how good she is, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think... You would never have known that, watching her play Sunday, you wouldn't have known that she'd been out injured for a couple of weeks. She just came back fit as ever, and she played brilliantly. And like Rob said, Millie Bright and uh, Magda could have had a game not so good, and Ebony seven could have got through, but they were just on top performance, and they stopped her at all chances.
0: Yeah, and as we discussed in the preview to this, Jane, you know, some rotation from Emma, but... On the whole, that is a very familiar looking team. Were you surprised with the lineup, or was sort of that was what you was expecting? On, on the whole,
1: um, I was sort of expecting the lineup she put out. Um, I did say I'd spoken with my mum before the game. I said, What do you think she's going to do? Is she going to play a different team completely and give players a chance? Then I was like, But really, it's a cup final, you've got to put out your strongest team, no matter what team. You you were playing Bristol could have come out and been like performed fantastically and we might have had no chances whatsoever. So I think I think I wasn't shocked at the team she put out because I knew Emma wanted to come out with this with the win, so she needed to play her strongest team.
0: Yeah, Rob. I suppose the one surprise of the team was was Jesse Fleming in for Panilla Harder, yeah. uh, who was left on the bench. Um, was that just to rest Harder? Or was that tactical for Emma to sort of? get that midfield diamond and nullify the supply chain to Ebony salmon.
2: I mean, I think you could probably make arguments of both. I think Penilla probably taking the knot midweek. It was one of those games where you could probably afford to have her on the bench because ultimately, you know, due to the nature of how games against Bristol have gone this season, we haven't necessarily always needed Penilla Harder on the pitch, let's be completely honest. And it's more important to sort of rest her for the big games coming up like Everton, And sort of, you know, other sort of huge matches in the next couple of weeks, the Uni with Wolfsburg as well. Um, And I think for Jesse Fleming, it was also obviously, you know, a big chance to come in uh, okay. Not necessarily the strongest opposition, but a big game. And to come in and really, you know, prove a point almost. Because I think there was a lot of, um, you know, hype about Jesse Fleming arriving in the summer. And arguably, through no fault of her own, she, you know, hasn't hit that height yet. And it was more of a case to see that from... See, you know, see the real side of Jesse Fleming was what I was more interested in sort of coming out. So I think that was the sort of tactical aspect of it, was you're playing in your preferred position. Show us what you can do.
0: Yeah, she had a couple of good games before the international break and then she sort of hasn't been able to get back into the team and I thought she did fantastic, really. Um, Jane, in the preview to this with Tracy, we said it might be a bit of a closer game than normal because it is a cup final. Team's are always up for it. Um, but Chelsea just come out flying... um, Sam Carr getting, Sam Cursory getting her first after just two minutes. You know, if you were going to write a perfect start to the game, that was how you'd have written it, isn't it?
1: Yeah, definitely. Like you said with Tracy, we said that we didn't think it was going to be as easy as it actually seemed. But as soon as Sam got that first goal, I thought actually maybe this could be a high goal-scoring game again.
0: Yeah, and then Rob, after 10 minutes, you know, it goes to 2-0. Bristol City we looked all over the place. It felt like game over even then, didn't it, with 80 minutes to play?
2: Yeah, I, I've got to be honest. It was one of those ones where I, I, I said, I don't like to see it as a mistake for the second goal because, OK, they did dwell on the ball, but it was due to the press and just how perfect the press was. And in that opening 10 minutes, and I said this, um, you know, on the Victor that I think if we'd have any team in Europe, with that opening 10 minutes, the intensity we were playing at and the speed we were playing at, you know, we'd have scored goals against anyone. If we'd have started that way against Atleti in the away in that tie in midweek, we'd have, you know, been 2-0 up against Atleti. Um uh, Yeah, it just, you know, it was when you get a second goal in a game and you get a 2-0 lead, I 2-0 t- is usually a dangerous scoreline because as soon as a team gets back into it, but with Chelsea women, I can't think of the last time we've let a 2-0 lead slip. A 2-0 is basically the same as a 3-0 and it very quickly becomes a 3-0. Yeah, I
0: can't remember the last time we've conceded three goals, let alone lose a lead um, 2-0 became 3-0 on the 28th minute You know, a poor clearance from Bagley in, in the Bristol City goal uncharacteristically really I think she's actually a quite a good goalkeeper um, that allowed Kirby to chip home and then sort of 10 minutes later Kirby had her second um, a quick through ball from Kerr putting her through and she managed to squeeze the ball past Bagley into the net um, Jane a brutal first half from Chelsea in the sense that they absolutely tore Bristol City to shreds you know, as Rob said, we could have done that to anybody on the day, really, couldn't we?
1: I think, yeah, the way we came out, there was there was no stopping us. We was determined to get them goals in. Like Rob said, if we'd come out like that in that second leg, we would have been able to get the goals. And I think after I think after Sam had got her two, I was I think that's it. We've won it. And obviously then to get Fran to get her two goals as well. I think after that Bristol was a bit it's like, oh god, what do we do now?
0: Just praying for full time, I think. Rob, <laughs> I suppose this game quickly become you know, the Frank Kirby and Sam Kerr show between them, they all four goals and three assists. Um, their link up is electric. And as someone that probably watches a bit more women's football in general, are they the best double acts in women's football right now?
2: Oh, um, I mean, I, I, I loathe to call players the best uh, because ultimately you know usually when you do that players I allow players to have an off day and there will be games this season you know we've seen games this season where I think it'd be fair to say Sam Kerr's finishing has had us all pulling our hair out um but I think on the day you know what you want from your big players to step up in the big moments and you saw it sort of from minute one from the fact we got that goal sort of so early you sort of saw hang on we're entering in- here obviously Fran missed the last Conte Cup final Uh, So this was, I think, her first one for the club. And I think, you know, given the fact that it was also Mother's Day and it's a very poignant day for her as well, she was determined to have a mark on it Um, and just, you know, responded with one of the best performances I've ever think I've seen in a cup final. Uh, And as for Sam Kerr, I think last year, she did play in the final last year, but I think, you know, she became a bit of the side plot almost to Beth England. And it was sort of more of a case that, you know, Sam Kerr's sort of there, but look, she's being you know, outperformed again. Is she sort of flopping? And she was sort of determined to sort of show that that wasn't the case. And, you know, OK, she did miss a couple of chances, but on another day again, she could have walked away with a double hat trick.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the second half starts almost identically to the first half with one of the best goals I think I've seen Chelsea women score. Yeah, a beautiful free-flowing goal with right and releasing Kirby who unselfishly teed up Kerr for her hat-trick. Uh, Jane, sort of number one, a fantastic goal. And number two, you know, Kerr really loves playing with Kirby, doesn't she? A hat-trick for her, thanks to a hat-trick of assists. You know, I think they really complement each other and Kerr raises her game even more when, when Kirby's with her, doesn't she?
1: I think what we've seen with them both playing in games together and their link-up together... It's just been brilliant. I remember when Emma signed Kerr. That was the one thing I was looking forward to, seeing Fran back and seeing how Sam and Fran both play together and just the skill that they've got between them is just brilliant. And I think it was nice that obviously Kirby could have taken that shot when she had the ball, but it was nice that she passed it to Sam to let Sam get her hat trick.
0: Yeah, very unselfish from from Fran. And for the sixth goal, she was unselfish again. It looked like Kerr had returned the favour again, but she unselfishly teed up Guru Wrighton to, to make it six. Uh, Rob, I'm out of words to describe Frank Kirby. I know you don't like saying someone's the best, but she is the best player in the world right now.
2: I, she's certainly, at the moment, if the Ballon d'Or was awarded this week, then it would be going to Frank Kirby. Um, I think, you know, there's an awful lot of time still to go um, in the rest of this season, but it's it's possible that, you know, potentially she's going to end the year as the club record goal scorer, the WSL Golden Boot winner, one of the, you know, top scorers in WUCL, potentially, you know, with the WUCL, the um, Conti Cup, the WSL, the Community Shield, of which she's played leading parts in now two of those competitions, because again, I would like to say she was brilliant in that Community Shield match at the beginning of the season. And if that happens, you, you know, you have to wonder how on earth you will for somehow managed to give it to Lucy bronze. Um, but I, yeah, I think she's absolutely brilliant at this moment in time. And it's so it's great just first and foremost, to see her back playing after the, you know, her story about pericarditis. I read the article on that sort of lasting, had a lump in my throat because you could see how much it sort of clearly affected her. And so I thought she spoke brilliantly on the matter on such a clearly difficult thing. And to see her come back, you know, to, even if I if see her come back to you know closer original ability, I'd have been absolutely delighted. The fact that I think she's come back and, you know, has hit a new zenith of ability, to the point now where I think defenders just see Frank Kirby nowadays and think it's one of three outcomes. Number one, they're going to foul her. Number two, and this is very, very, very rash, she's going to make a mistake. Or number three, she's just going to go around them and get an assist or a goal. And I think it's getting to that point now where defenders are wondering, you know, what on earth am I meant to do here? Because you know, it's just impossible to keep track of her.
0: Yeah, brother, I'm glad you're here because when people ask me to talk about Frank Kirby, I'm just like, mind blown, you know, just (laughs) superb. Uh, Jane, I want to give a shout out to Anne Berger in this game. She showed her class once again. She had little to do in the first half and large parts of the second, but Bristol did have her moments in the game. And as you see from their XG of 1.24, they had some good chances, but she made some good saves, didn't she?
1: Yeah, I think she did. Like, obviously, she didn't. She didn't have much to do, but when there was stuff for her to do, and when Bristol was on that attack, she managed to stop them and just save us, basically. And also, I don't know if you've seen the video going around when Hannah Blundell sort of like slides in front and clears the ball as well. I think that was brilliant as well to stop them.
0: Yeah, that was yeah, a great moment showing you know, Hannah's quality and defence as well. Rob, I want to briefly just touch on the setup that we had for this one because when I saw the lineup immediately, I think 4 3 3. But actually, Emma does like that 4 4 2 diamond and it, it didn't work when she used it against Brighton. But in this game, it was perfect. You know, Brighton is clever enough as a number 10 to create space. Mm. Fleming was fantastic at pressuring that Bristol you know, high up the pitch and, and that caused a goal as well. Um, it's sort of the perfect game plan to stop them moving the ball quickly that i like to do and get Ebony running in behind. They couldn't do that because we was all over them in the midfield, wasn't we?
2: Mm. I would like to say, but yeah, thank you, Hannah Hayes, because when I did my preview on Friday, I confidently predicted the 4-3-3. Um, and, you know, so f- thank you again there, Emma. But no, I think, it was a, I think it was right. And I think in many ways they expected the 4-3-3 because they lined up with that 3-4-3 formation stroke with, you know, five uh three uh, three, if you want and i think they expected to have that ability to overload the wide players and to over sort of you know have two players marking kirby at all times but because then she was sort of tucked in and you had the two strikers right on you know the three defenders plus then you had wrighton sort of just floating about and fleming pressing really really high it made it impossible and it just sort of choked them and even when they were trying to play out from the back and ignoring Bagley's uncharacteristic mistake, um, even when they were trying to do that, they were struggling to play out, and they were resorting to just sort of, you know, punting it long, and ultimately it's very hard for, you know, as good a striker as Ebony Salmon is, and she's a very good player, it's very, very hard when you're up against two very good centre-halves who are just going to keep heading the ball away, and I think it was the first 15 minutes, you know, just completely choked them. I, you know, every time they got up the halfway and it was coming back at them and coming back, and it was just a case of, you know, fighting sort of, you know, and scrapping and just trying to not concede too many times. Because I think, you know, on another day, I think it was um, both uh, ericsson and Bright both went close from set pieces and there was that ludicrous handball by Yana Daniels. I'm still not quite sure how on earth she got away with saving it on the line. But, uh, you know, it could have been 5-0 in about sort of 20 minutes.
0: But in the, at the start of the game, you know, Fran was running through and even when Bristol were, were getting there and tackling another, they were sort of looking at each other like, Am I supposed to be doing that, or is that someone else's job? Because we be set up differently to probably how they expected. Um, an almost sort of perfect afternoon for Chelsea, I suppose. Six goals scored in a cup final, a new record. Uh, Harder and G not playing at all, you know, being able to rest. Um, but a pretty big but, you know, the afternoon was somewhat soured by that injury sustained by Marin Um, A pretty innocuous looking challenge on her, but you knew immediately from her reaction and I was around her that that was, you know, a very serious injury, didn't it, Rob?
2: Yeah, oh, it was horrendous. I mean, you, you heard the scream, and I think that was what really sort of did it for me. Is I, And again, I, I will criticise them One of the things I love about the women's game is the lack of simulation and the fact that, you know, and I mean, this is the sort of the principal way, when players go down, you know it's genuinely a serious thing. You don't have players flopping all over the place like fishes like you do in the men's game. Um, and it was just, you know, absolutely horrendous sort of to hear that. Sound and to see, you know, the reaction. I thought it was ridiculous personally of the referee to put Palmer because I don't think Palmer was trying to do anything. And I, you know, I feel in the end, booking it, it wasn't a foul, it was an innocuous challenge. And unfortunately, these sort of things do happen in football. And yeah, it was just sort of so sort of awful. And I think it, you know, it did. It was serious. And you know, you don't want to, you never want to see a fellow professional injured like that.
0: Yeah, and Jane, I suppose you could tell after full time, the final whistle blew, and the players were on the pitch waiting for the the trophy. You could see how they was affected by that injury. You know, several players in tears, and you have know, other players um, comforting them. I suppose the the good thing you take from that is you can see the team spirit from Chelsea and how they already rallied each other in a moment of of sadness. Really.
1: Yeah, I think it was tough for them all. Obviously, you've just won a huge final you've got a player that's been rushed to hospital and you don't know what the injury was. Obviously, all the girls were shocked. You could see when they, when Maren went down, they showed Beth sitting in the stands and you could see on her face, she was like, oh my God. But the way the team sort of all helped each other, obviously Fran and Guru were in tears. They, I think they was affected the most. They all just helped each other and managed to get through and celebrate the trophy lift.
0: Yeah, like I said, bittersweet celebrations, but it was sort of lovely to see Kirby and Wright and having the M- M- Marin shirt and lifting that up during the celebrations. Yeah, Rob, I sat watching them, you know, just with the biggest smile on my face. You know, I thought someone was chopping onions, but I think I was just crying. Um, there's nothing better than lifting a trophy, is there?
2: No, not at all. And I, I would say that having watched us numerous times lose Conti Cup ties, I remember us losing to London Bees a long, long time ago. And seeing us, you know, continually go out in the comedy Cup. It's nice over the last couple of years to actually, you know, win it regularly and to not just see Manchester City or Arsenal get to the final and claim it. Um yeah, it's just a great feeling.
0: Yeah, congratulations to Emma and the team. You know, 2021 Continental Cup winners, a second successive win in that competition. Uh Jane, run us through the player of the match uh, from this one.
1: So Chelsea Women Sports Group held their poll over on Twitter. The four options were Sam Kerr. Who received fifteen percent of the vote? The vote. The backflip with seventeen percent of the vote. marami Aldo with twenty-one percent of the vote, and the winner was forty-seven percent of the vote. Was Super Frank Kirby?
0: Yeah, the, the backflip we haven't even mentioned. Uh, Jay, great to see it back for me. It was like that um, Leonardo DiCaprio meme where he's pointing at, the, at whatever he's watching the screen. I guess. It was like, we were celebrating the goal and it's like, oh, the backflip, the backflip. She did it. Everyone, everyone lost their minds <laughs> that, didn't they?
1: As she was, like, running to score the goal, I said to my mum, I was like, if she does the backflip in this match and there's no fans there to watch, I'm going to be, like, gutted. And as she scored and did it, and I was like, oh, my God, the backflip. I thought when the game the fans were allowed against West Ham back in December, Um, after she got her hat-trick there, she sort of went to do she went to do it there but she sort of got taken out by a West Ham player so mm. i think she was like she was like it's the final it's the right time and yeah it was brilliant
0: yeah it was the right moment i think we'll see it soon when when we're all back at kings meadow rob i want to leave the last word on the first major trophy of the season you know major trophy um, to you to so sort of sum up what it means to be continental cup winners and you know what that could do for us going forward
2: it d- you know, getting a trophy in any season should always be valued, whether you're up against. Ultimately, in order to get to this final, we've had to beat our closest WSL competitors, two of our three of our London rivals, and we would have played sort of four London teams on the way to the final. We have had to, you know, see everyone in the squad um really contribute. And it's just a great springboard, isn't it, to go into, you know, what could be an incredible end of the season, knowing that there's already one piece of silverware in the bag. I think it just gives you that confidence, doesn't it? just gives you that extra boost that you need to go into, you know, the following weeks. And I think uh, we saw that last year a little bit with, you know, the way everyone looks so confident after the Conti Cup um, final and then obviously sort of football had stop But I think, you yeah, know, even still if we'd have continued, we'd have been put in a great place and now we're just, you know, in a brilliant situation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Agree with that wholeheartedly. You know, another trophy. Emma Hayes, the most successful Chelsea manager of all time in, you know, Eclipsing all the previous records set by, you know, managers of the men's team, you know, so huge congratulations to her. Uh, that wraps up part one. Join us after this short break when we'll be discussing all the news from Kings Meadow from the past week.
1: Das Leben kann hektisch sein. Warum nicht dem Alltag entfliehen und in die magische Welt von Evermerge eintauchen? Evermerge ist ein magisches Land, das mit jeder Entdeckung größer und besser wird. Werde ein Merch-Master. Baue und sammle einzigartige Gegenstände oder verschönere deine eigene wundersame Welt. Im Land von Evermerge gibt es immer etwas zu tun. Evermerge. Jetzt kostenlos im App Store herunterladen.
2: fans real opinions i'm jason cundy and you're listening to the chelsea football fancast proper chelsea football fancast.com
0: welcome back to part two of went to mo king's Mellow time now for a news update jane what's been happening in the world of chelsea this week
1: Neil Harder has been invited to give me Sport Women Player of the Month for February. She also won February WSL PFA Fans Player of the Month. Chelsea have been drawn with Wolfsburg in the Champions League quarter final. The games will take place next Wednesday and the Wednesday after. The 24th kicks off at 4 o'clock, and the one on the 31st of March kicks off at 1 o'clock. Um, the winner of that match will face either Bayern Munich or Rosengard in the semi. Finals, both of the ties for the quarterfinals we played in Budapest due to travel restrictions. And the big news we've all been waiting for, Frank Kirby has signed a contract extension until 2023.
0: Yeah. Rob, what would you like to sort of discuss from that? The sort of Champions League ties or that Frank Kirby contract?
2: I, I mean, I think it's all important. Firstly, congratulations to Panier. It's not bad to see that a overrated flop who was sort of, you know, much worse than everyone else in the WSL, and we overpaid for as one player of the month, but that was a fluke. Um, in the Frank Kirby contract news, well, I mean, I'm sure every WSL defender probably went to bed crying um, sort of that evening, hearing that news. And yeah, just wonderful to see. I wonder if she'll, by the time sort of, you know, that contract ends and we extend it again, inevitably, she'll have reached 150 goals. Um, I think it's perfectly possible. In terms of the Champions League ties, I think We'd have taken Wolfsburg, let's be honest. I think we'd have liked Rosengard, but we'd have taken Wolfsburg. And I think drawing Bayern Munich in the, you know, potentially in the semis is a the better half of the draw, considering that on the other side you've got Manchester City, PSG, Lyon, and Barcelona. Um, three very good sides are going to go out. I always say to anyone that in order to get to a Champions League final, when you get to the quarter final, you're going to still need to go ahead and beat at least two of the other best teams in sort of European football, and to get to a final, when that you're going to need to beat three of them, you're going to need to beat over half the best eight teams, and, or almost half the best eight teams, and that is something that, you know, we have to now wait and see if we can get to that level.
0: Yeah, well, Jane, you think we've got the squad to do so. Um A good draw for you in the Champions League? For me, I thought it was probably the best case scenario we could have hoped for.
1: Yeah, I think I, think I, I was happy with... The sort of path we've been drawn down obviously we're not going to face the likes of Leon, PSG or Man City until the final um I think I would have been I would have preferred to draw either by Munich or Rosengard in the quarterfinals first and then play maybe Wolfsburg in the semis but I'm happy with what we've been given to get to the final you've got to beat every you've just got to beat all the teams you get given and I think we've We've definitely got the potential. We've got the squad. Obviously, it's Peniel Harder's old squad and I'm hoping she comes out and just scores some absolute worldies against them.
0: Yeah, I know. I think Emma sort of believes now she's got the squad assembled that can really take this competition on and actually she relishes playing these teams, as she said, against Atletico Madrid. You know, these are the ties we want now and um, because we think we've got the team to, to, to prove it. Um, I guess we'll know... By next Wednesday afternoon, whether we have or not, whether just signing Wolfsburg's best player is enough to, to take that next step and get into the next stage. Um, let's move on to the loan report then. Another game for Jamie New Napier and Emily Murphy on loan at Birmingham. Another 4-0 defeat, unfortunately, to Wednesday's opponents Everton. Everton. Um, but the big news from this game, Rob, was the FA emailing Hannah Hampton to say you're not going to play in Team GB just before kickoff. Um, we hate the FA on this show, so do you want to kick them while they're down?
2: Yeah, just a ludicrous example of the ineptness, and it wouldn't happen and, you know, on the men's side. I know it's particularly well-organised call-ups on the men's side, so the fact that the worrying thing with this is I think whoever was asked to do it forgot that there was a game on. And that's the worst. Mo- the worst thing about all of it is that they had no clue the match was even on. And to email, not even to have a call, for example, just to send sort of you know an email like a rejection email or was to work for like a job interview, that's just absolutely appalling piece of behaviour. No doubt, you know, I can understand why the player was in floods of tears because it's a ridiculous sort of just absolutely ridiculous story.
0: Yeah, and obviously these sort of. Olympics obviously come around every four years so for some you know it's one opportunity and that's it and they won't play for Team GB again the FA I don't know what needs to happen to to sort them out for the women's game and for the men's game because they're they're equally as bad on both sides in my opinion probably a little bit worse on the women's side but maybe there needs to be some sort of uprising takeover I don't know anyway uh before we go to our break for for part two we've got some of our parish notices as usual don't forget to subscribe to our youtube channel you can find us by searching went to Mo king's meadow we publish three to four episodes uh, videos a week based on this podcast so if you want to see our faces as with well as our voices youtube is the place to go the good news is that the barbers are almost open so this will get cut mm-hmm. soon so i'm really sorry um don't forget to join our discord channel Discord is the perfect place to join the Chelsea SC women's community uh, chat during match days you know just have general discussions about Chelsea women so uh, we'll leave the link in the description for that or just download the app and search I went to my Kings Meadow you'll find us um, we look forward to seeing you there uh, a reminder that if you follow both the men's and the women's team check out the main Chelsea fan class show uh, I was on it last night discussing Chelsea's 0-0 draw with Leeds um, they also have a Patreon account so if you want to support the show financially and you would like to there's no obligation to but if you can help then that's www.patreon.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast again no pressure the love for you for listening is enough um, and you know as you know we want as many people talking about and listening to shows about this women's team so make sure you check out and listen to London is blue you know they did a, a good show on on the final. Um, the team at 195 and the only other podcast that talks exclusively about the women's team that we know about, Fran's Fight Club. Uh, also, make sure you check out Rob's CFCW social. I've got a new column on there on the team. It's going live some point in the future. I'll just leave that hanging for Rob there. Um, lots of amazing content that they produce um, day in, day out. So you really need to be following them. Uh, if there's someone else you think should be added to this list, then please let us know we can help spread the word and get people following this team. And last but no means least, don't forget to check out the Chelsea Women supporters group on Facebook and Twitter. As you've heard from their cup final um, exploits, they are, you know, the heart and soul of, of Chelsea Women. So you know, the more supporters we get involved with them, the better it is for everyone involved in the team. Uh, now that's all for part two. Join us after this very short break for part three.
2: Fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea
1: Football
0: Welcome back to part three of Went to Mo Kings Meadow preview time now with our fixture tomorrow evening against Everton. Uh, Jane, give us the form guide ahead of this one.
1: Everton currently sit in fifth place in the WSL. They've played 16, won seven, drawn four and lost five, picking up 25 points. In their last five WSL fixtures, Everton have won two, lost one and drawn two. The results run as follows, starting with their most recent first, a 4-0 win over Birmingham City, a 1-0 defeat to Manchester City, a 3-2 win over Tottenham, a 1-1 draw with Reading and a 1-1 draw with Birmingham City.
0: Yeah, Everton, for me, the biggest threat outside of that traditional top four. Uh, Rob, do you agree with the assessment that they're the best of the rest?
2: Yeah, I think so. Um, I think, you know, they're one of those teams that are really difficult to play against. I think Willie Kirk knows exactly what he's got in his squad and knows that the sum is greater, the sum of the whole is greater than the individual parts. They work really, really hard. They've got good players in there as well. so excellent players like Hayley Rasso and uh, sort of other options um, sort of to really do damage to other teams. So it certainly won't be an easy game. I will say that I feel like, you know, we sort of won the previous game 4-0 against them, which perhaps has a little bit of sort of a gloss on the scoreline, but it does show that if we, you know, do start scoring, I think we if we can get a goal and sort of get a goal early, then it will completely change the complexity of the match.
0: Yeah. Jane Robb mentioned that, that 4-0 win earlier in the season, but also important to remember that they did beat us in the FA Cup this year, although it was last year's competition. You know, So they've got to be respected, haven't they?
1: Yeah, I think Everton are a brilliant team and they are one we need to watch. They've got the likes of Jill Scott now in their team. They've signed West Ham's Alicia Lemon, who's brilliant. And I think, I think it's going to be a lot harder than the game we played at home last year.
0: Yeah, I, I suppose you know that recent game against Man City will be the best barometer of, of how Everton are going to approach this game against us. Um, they set up in a 5-4-1 formation, defended very deep, frustrated City all game. Uh, City did manage to create chances by getting down the wings, uh, and who better to ask about the importance of our fullbacks than the fullback connoisseur himself, Rob Prattley? Rob, full-backs, important game for them on Wednesday, isn't it?
2: Yeah, hugely important game. I would say that I think it would be interesting, um, obviously with Marion's injury, she obviously won't be sort of featuring for the rest of the season. So I'll be curious to see how we approach it, whether sort of say Hannah Blundell, who we know can slot in at left back and also at right back, sort of comes in, or if they continue to go with Neem Charles. Now, personally, I would probably look to plump for Charles for that extra burst of pace, because I think if you have Charles sort of playing as quite wide sort of fullback and really bombing on, and then allowing Kirby to cut inside from that right-hand position, which is the one she's occupied the most this season, that's going to be an absolute nightmare for the left-back to try and do and to try and cover. And I think you're probably right in the 5-4-1, the they're going to have the wing-backs sort of there. So it's going to be really important about pinging the pull, uh, sort of pushing the wing-back back and sort of keeping them penned in. And if the only way you can do that is by getting you know, your full-backs up the pitch, getting them really pushing. On the other side, I think Jonner... Uh, has been really good this season and has been a usual consistent self, but this will be one of the really tough tests because with that extra wing back going the other way, you've also got to manage, you know, being an outlet on the left-hand side to also defending and stopping the counter-attack. And, you know, John, if there's one thing she does lack, it's maybe a yard of pace. So it will be really interesting to see how that balance and that dichotomy works.
0: Yeah. Jane, um, there's been a lot of games recently, you know, tough games, the you know, big games where it's not just a physical assertion on the players. It's also a mental, you know, toughness as well. They have to show there's going to be some temptation to rotate. And there's probably a need to rotate as well, but, you know, always we've got to keep Brighton in the back of our minds, haven't we?
1: Definitely. I think that's the thing. After that Brighton defeat, I think obviously it's good to have rotation But games like that, we can't take anything for granted now. We've got to play our most strongest squad every game, no matter what game we're playing. If it's the bottom of the league, the top of the league player, Emma's just got to put out her most powerful squad to come out and get that win. But I do hope we do see some little rotation within the squad.
0: Yeah, I think think Emma spoke before the game against Bristol and said, you know, this is my freshest team. And the fact that she was able to bring some of those key players off early in the game because the game was won, you know, thinks that we're going to have a strong team for this one as well. Um, Rob Everton, we've mentioned some talented players, you know, the likes of Jill Scott, Alicia Lehman. Who's your one to watch from the Toffees?
2: I mean, I think, yeah, I think Scott is a really, really good player. And I think she will also, in her mind, she will have the thought in that if she can, you know, stop. Chelsea, in a way, she will be helping her parent club. And I think that's, you know, an important thing to remember. She'll be very fired up for it. Lehman, as we know, is a very good player, very tricky I do really like Hayley Razzo. She can be very inconsistent, I think is the word, but she has that bit of pace and that bit of quality on the wing to really cause problems. And I mean, the numbers this season don't read great, only sort of two goals and two assists. But she's got that pace, which is something fullbacks would hate defending against. And you can be sure that whoever she's up against will know they're in a battle. Um, so I think that's probably the one I'd really say is to sort of watch, the other option is also obviously Sandy McIver in goal who is an excellent keeper again, Um, even in that 4-0 she played very very well and I think she was unlucky not to be sent off against Birmingham for sort of that kamikaze sort of coming out, she did also get a head injury in there so it would be interesting to see you know, she passed the concussion protocols but um, I think you know, it's Important sort of you know not take them lightly. Everton, they're a very good side.
0: Yeah, let's look at sort of Chelsea and how we can approach this. Jane, in that Everton game against Man City, Everton managed two shots, which none were on target. So the way they defend deep, this could be another game to use that four one three two that we saw against West Ham, you know, and really use the most of our attacking options to create, you know, high quality chances in order to help us score some goals.
1: Yeah, I think, I think if we do come out like the way we came out against West Ham, we will be able to use them. We've got a range of attacking options to be able to score them goals against Everton. When Everton did play City, I thought they were unlucky not to get a draw out of it, which I was hoping for. Um, but I think as long as we come out and attack, we'll be able to get them quality chances. Yeah, Rob,
0: another angle we've could look at is the 3-4-3 three, three. you know we spoke about the win backs you know I suppose if you've got sort of Bright Ingle and, and Ericsson covering that that back line you can sort of allow them to push a bit higher up without having that defensive responsibility as much um, and also you know getting the wide areas that City did so well so sort of, what's your thinking ahead of this game?
2: I think it'd be interesting to see the 3-4-3 three, three would be a bold sort of choice because we haven't really used that this season um Sort of too much. I can't think of the last time we deployed a game 3 4 3. I think it's definitely an option, but I feel it'd be something more that, you know, if it was getting later in the game and it was still nil nil, or perhaps, you know, touch wood it won't be, but if, you know, we were sort of losing um, and you need to sort of turn it around because it's such an offensive sort of formation. I think it's with the wingers and the, and the wind axe that we think Everton will use, you have to be pragmatic. And I think, first and foremost, we know. They will come and they will be trying not to lose the game. So at the same time, it's now our onus to break them down. Once you, you know, if you get that that early goal, their mentality will change completely. And that's when we need to be able to change. And I think that's important, you know, to recognise we have that ability to do that. We do have the ability to play, you know, multiple philosophies, and multiple, you know, styles of play. And that's something very few teams have. And it's such a boon to you to be able to do that.
0: Yeah, Jane, I suppose that, so ability to have that comes from, from Emma Hayes because she picks teams to win football matches not to enforce a philosophy or demand her team play a certain way her style as she always says is winning and if you look at the league table given the number of games left winning is the only thing that matters right now isn't
1: it yeah we do we cannot afford to lose any games even draw a game we, we can't afford to if we want to win the league we've got to come out in these last few games and get the three points out of every game no matter what team we're playing so I think as, as long as Emma puts her strong teams out and gives players the chances we're going to have no issue in doing that
0: yeah let's well let me pick a team then and then I'll let you pick it apart you know despite mentioning 4-1-3-2 and a 3-4-3 I've actually gone with a 4-4-2 diamond again uh, Burger in goal Charles at right back Brighton, Eriksson at centre-back, Anderson in at left-back. pulls in the base midfield with Fleming and G as a midfield two with Harder behind Sam Kerr and Frank Kirby. Um, I've not heard anything about Bethany England today, so I don't know if she's available. I know Sophie Ingle injured her ankle. Emma did say she would be available, but I don't know if she's fully fit. You know, And this sort of allows the full to push up the pitch, using Kirby and Kerr to spread the attack, and then having that secret weapon of pulling a Harder through the middle to attack from deep. Rob, your thoughts? Any changes, or have I, I got the job?
2: I I, I quite like it. Um, the only thing I would maybe say, that I think possibly would be an option for me is maybe looking at using Cuthbert in the midfield if she's fit over possibly over Fleming, because I thought Jay Fleming played well on Sunday, but it's more of a case of rotation. Um, and I also think Erin Cuthbert adds that extra sort of goal sort of driving impetus. We haven't seen it as much this season, but there's that real impetus in the midfield you have the ability in that to also dovetail her and Harder so if she wants to go into the number 10 role she can go in there and Harder can drop back into central midfield
0: yeah I am a big fan of Erin Kuppert in midfield um, but I thought given Fleming's performance on Sunday you know I'd give her that opportunity to go again I think she'll be you know fresh enough to do so but you know if Kuppert's in there I'm a very happy man Jane how about yourself what changes are you making to that team
1: um, I think it is only one. I think I'd take Fleming out and put Cuthbert in. Just I think it's tough. I think with the game it is. I think Erin would do better mm. instead of Fleming in that midfield, and she'll be able to play. She'll be able to play up front if need be. Um, with the likes of Beth, I don't think she's going to be back until next week at the earliest. I think it's only like two weeks they have to have out due to concussion. So, unfortunately, I don't think we'll be seeing her.
0: OK, well, if you're watching this on YouTube, you know, comment down below. Let us know, are you team Fleming or team Cough? But I think I'm team both. But um, you've got to pick a side on this. Um, predictions then, you know, f- for me, Everton are a good team, but I think we're going to have enough quality to score some goals. I'm going to go 3-0, a nice clean sheet to, to wrap up. What's been a good couple of weeks uh rob your predictions?
2: I think I'll go for a tighter one. I think I'll go for a two one win for late goal
0: late goal for us to win it or a late goal for everton coming back
2: just a late goal,
0: just a late goal sitting on the fence late goal. uh learning from dane, I think there with those predictions um Jane, how about you
1: um I'm gonna go with a four nil win. Always the
0: optimist is Jane with her prediction. (laughs) That's what we love to hear. Right, um, that wraps us up for part three. Join us after the break when we've got your emails in the fourth and final part of this episode.
2: Real fans, real opinions. For Chelsea fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Chelsea videos and podcasts. Download the free CFC Blues
0: app now from the App Store and Google Play. OK, welcome back to part four of Went to Mo Kings Meadow. Time now for your emails and we've had the lovely Rudja Gupta in touch this week. Jane, what has she got to say for herself?
1: Our team this entire week has been one of has been one of incredible highs. UEFA champ, Women's Champions League round 16 win, Quantity Cup silverware and a massive momentum heading into the business end of tournaments. I guess all that has been balanced by incredible lows such as football, heroic penalties taken by marami Mielda followed by a devastating injury to end her season. Just a reminder for me to appreciate every player and their consistent performances one of our unsung heroes now will only watch from the side, sidelines. On a lighter note, keep creating great content on the be- content on the best team in Europe. PS, I made a reaction video to the Quantity Cup final antics. You can watch it here. Talk soon. Come on, you blues. We'll leave that YouTube description in the like description section.
0: Yeah, if you if you go on Twitter and follow at she talks Ball, yeah, that's Raja's account. Um, you'll find one of you know, the very best Twitter accounts on you know, women's football and Chelsea. Her reaction video to the cup final is hilarious. You know, the facials that she's pulling as the chances are happening, the goals are being scored when someone knocks on the door. You know, it's just worth watching, really. Um, talking of unsung heroes, I suppose it's when you get injuries to big players like Marin, Rob, that you sort of appreciate what they bring to the team.
2: Yeah, I, I 100% agree and I think it I think it was especially difficult to see Maren get injured number one because she's a huge part of the team and there's you know that aspect of it number two is she's also one of the older players and it's always harder for older players to come back from injury um just by the nature of it and again thankfully it's not she's said you know hopefully if all things go well she'll be back by the beginning of next season but you know ultimately some knee injuries have been worse and it could have been a case where she'd been out for 18 months of potentially missing, you know, the women's Euros and as captain of, you know, a national a national um, country, captain of Norway, that would have been, you know, a huge sort of psychological blow. And the third one, I think, is also to note that she herself was credited a lot with Fran Kirby coming back. And Kirby says that she wouldn't be back in football if it wasn't for, you know, Mara Mielder's support. So I think you always notice it that a lot more. But at the same time... Looking at it from a sort, you know, trying to put a glass half full, it's a chance for you know Neem Charles to really come in and cement herself, or Hannah Blundell to come back into the team and remind us why she's such an excellent player to have in and around the squad, or someone else to step up and step out of the shadows and really, you know, cement themselves and show why we've got the best squad in Europe.
0: Yeah, Jane, as Rob said, you know, Marin's got the likes of France to sort of to lean on in these times, and you know that's sort of. One of the best things about this squad, isn't it, that they are, as as Emma said, you know, amazing human beings, and you can tell they really love and support each other, can't you?
1: Yeah, I think they have, they've got the support. Everyone's there to support each other. Marin had an injury a few years, a couple of seasons ago. I can't actually remember when, but she had Fran at the time to support her. Fran had injuries, and also she had Marin there to support her. And I think as a team. Maren will get through it obviously like she said she said it's not as bad as everyone thought it was I think where their stadium was empty and we heard her scream that I think that's what made everyone think it was a lot worse just because you heard that impact
0: Yeah and obviously the way she left the pitch with the oxygen and straight the hospital you know you, you're fearing sort of the worst for a player there but you know the, the silver lining is it's not as bad there is still surgery but she should be back hopefully fingers crossed you know at the start of next season, and you know, we're all you know supporting Marin and sending her well wishes along her road to recovery. Um, remember if you've got anything you want to say about the team, the show, or the latest game, the latest bit of news, you can do so by emailing us at went to at gmail.com. Uh just make sure you get them in by top Tuesday, the time we record, and we'll read them out on the show. No matter how big or small, um, we love to hear from you and get your opinions out there. So, you know, feel free to to get in touch. And, you know, I'm afraid to say that is all we've got time for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week to discuss that game against Everton. And we'll be joined by the wonderful Mia Eriksson to look ahead to our Champions League clash with Wolfsburg and that WSL game against Aston Villa. Uh, Jane, a pleasure to talk to you again about this wonderful team. Um, you know, looking forward to a, a big week again.
1: Yeah, we've got a lot of games now. It's like back to back and good to be talking about them and hopefully we'll be getting the wins.
0: Yeah, this is the business end of the season. So yeah, really looking forward to it. Uh Rob, you know, a, a pleasure again to have you back on Talking All Things Chelsea. You know, very knowledgeable, you know, great points and always get me thinking. Um I'll have my next column to you by end of the week. And I
2: will actually post it on time this time rather than being an idiot.
0: Yeah, it's okay. You know, we're not going to hold that against you. You know, you know, brilliant again. For, yeah, thanks for giving up your time to um to talk about the team with us. And, you know, thanks for your work on that um the charity fundraising event for the Conti Cup final.
2: I have to say I did very little. All the credit should go to our wonderful team at CSW Social, especially the design team, and also to the supporters group. I was just there to sort of cheerlead a fantastic cause.
0: Yeah, don't forget to follow them on, on Twitter at the CFCW Social. Um, remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Mo Kings Meadow, me at Dean Demirs, Jane at Jane Chappell X, and Rob at RJP Journalism. You can also find us on Instagram by searching at Went to Mo Kings Meadow. Uh, don't forget, you can contact the show by email, get your points heard and read on the show. That address is Went to Mo Kings Meadow at gmail.com. Uh, thanks for listening. Until next time, Jersey fans from Kings Meadow to Wembley, keep that blue flag flying high.
1: Field. Podcasts, die wir lieben. Es ist nicht alles Gay, was glänzt, oder doch? Das klären wir jetzt in Busenfreundin, der Podcast. Hey Leute, mein Name ist Ricarda. Ich bin Comedy-Autorin und die Stimme des LGBTIQ-Podcasts Busenfreundin. Und ich treffe jede
2: Woche spannende Menschen und spreche mit ihnen über alles, was die queere Szene bewegt. Bei Busenfreundin
1: gibt's Unterhaltung gepaart mit Haltung. Oft, also nicht immer. Denn manchmal schweife ich auch ab, zum Beispiel mit Leuten wie Ricardo Simonetti, Sarah Kuttner und vielen, vielen mehr.
2: Also schaltet jetzt ein zu Busenfreundin, eurem Lieblings-LGBTIQ-Infotainment-Podcast.
0: Bei ACAST finden
1: die besten Podcasts aus aller Welt ein Zuhause. Abonniere diese Show oder finde weitere spannende Podcasts bei ACAST oder wo immer du Podcasts hörst.